Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A-Minder. My name is Kate, and I'll be your host for today's episode. This month, we have plenty of exciting new ground to cover, with 13 papers focused on mechanisms of tau pathology and four papers on targeting tau as a therapeutic strategy in Alzheimer's disease, all published in November 2021. Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. All right, welcome back. Like I mentioned before the break, my name is Kate, and I'll be your host today as we cover the latest on tau pathology and treatment development in Alzheimer's disease. And just to get this out of the way now, I'll be referring to Alzheimer's disease as AD from here on out. If you're not already familiar, tau is a protein that is highly expressed throughout the central nervous system, and its main job is to support the structure of axons by stabilizing microtubules. An important characteristic of tau is that it has many sites available for phosphorylation, and in the brains of AD patients, tau is found to be hyperphosphorylated, which disrupts its normal functions and allows it to aggregate into paired helical filaments. In AD and other diseases, tau is thought to be able to be secreted by cells and even spread from cell to cell in a similar manner to prions. So in this episode, I'll be covering papers that touch on these processes in AD, focusing first on papers that describe mechanisms of tau pathology, and then on papers that describe potential therapies targeting tau. As a reminder, all of the papers I'll cover today have been published in peer-reviewed journals, but I haven't checked them for quality myself. So if you hear something that piques your interest or you want to learn about one of these studies in more detail, definitely take the time to explore them for yourself by checking out the free bibliography linked in this episode's notes or by visiting our website. All of the papers I covered today will appear in our bibliography by number in the order that I mentioned them. Each month, we cover a variety of topics in AD research, but even if we can't cover all of the literature in an episode, we still do the legwork for you by curating and citing those papers in our bibliographies, too. So, if you're interested in a topic that maybe we haven't yet made an episode about, check out our full list of bibliographies on our website. Lastly, we here at Aminder would like to thank the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging for their financial support. Their funding helps us offset costs related to equipment expenses, subscriptions to a podcast hosting platform, and more. You will hear more about the CCNA and what they do throughout our episodes, and we will make note of any studies they've funded as we cover them. With that, let's go into the science. We'll kick off today's episode with our first section, focused on tau aggregation and post-translational modifications, or PTMs, as you'll hear me refer to them here. These first few papers will focus on PTMs specifically. Paper number one is titled, Charge Neutralization of Lysine via Carbamylation Reveals Hidden Aggregation Hotspots in Tau Protein Flanking Regions. This paper was published in the FEBS journal by first author Gadavi and last author Gupta from the Indian Institute of Technology, Gandhinagar, in India. In this study, the authors were interested in a PTM called carbamylation. I wasn't familiar with this PTM, but a quick Google search told me that carbamylation is a non-enzymatic PTM in which isocyanic acid reacts with lysine residues, neutralizing their charge. 
With that little introduction out of the way, the goal of this present study was to assess how carbamylation of Tau's lysine-rich regions affects the protein's propensity to aggregate. Using a combination of biophysical methods and microscopy, check out the full paper for the details, the authors identify four of Tau's domains as being aggregation hotspots that are activated by carbamylation. They also compare the effects of carbamylation with the acetylation of a lysine-rich tau peptide and find that carbamylation is significantly better at inducing aggregation than acetylation. Altogether, these findings could help explain another avenue through which PTMs influence the aggregation propensity of distinct domains within tau. Another paper, another PTM. This time, a newly discovered tau modification called succinylation. Let's check out paper number two, titled Post-Translational Modifications Within Tau Paired Helical Filament Nucleating Motifs for True Microtubule Interactions and Oligomer Formation. This paper was published in the Journal of Biological Chemistry by first author Acosta and last author Elizer from the Weill Cornell Medicine Institute in New York City. In this study, the authors used the model tau peptide PHF6 to assess the impact of succinylation with the microtubule protein tubulin, as well as its propensity to aggregate. They also contextualized these findings by comparing the effects of succinylation with those of two well-studied tau PTMs, acetylation and phosphorylation, as well as with the effect of point mutations mimicking each of these PTMs. The authors found that all three PTMs disrupted tubulin binding, with phosphorylation having the most prominent effect. The PTM-mimicking point mutations similarly replicated the effects on tubulin binding, and were also found to disrupt tau oligomerization and fibrillization. This abstract is a bit on the shorter side in terms of the specific details for each of the PTM's effects, so check out the full paper for more if you're interested. This next study looks at kinases, the proteins responsible for a common garden-variety PTM, phosphorylation. Paper number three is titled, Lithium Modulates Multiple Tau Kinases with Distinct Effects in Cortical and Hippocampal Neurons According to Concentration Ranges. This paper was published in the Naunian Schmiedelberg's Archives of Pharmacology by first author Di Paula and last author Forlenza from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. This paper concerns one of the most prolific kinases linked to tau hyperphosphorylation, glycogen synthase kinase 3-beta, or GSK3b, as I'll refer to it from here on out. The goal of this study was to assess how chronic treatment with lithium, a GSK3b inhibitor, impacts tau as well as related tau kinases in vitro. The authors treated cortical and hippocampal neurons with either subtherapeutic or therapeutic doses of lithium for seven days. In both cell types receiving subtherapeutic doses, expression levels of both tau and calcium calmodulin kinase 2 increased significantly, while GSK3B activity levels increased in cortical but decreased in hippocampal neurons. Looking at other tau kinases, a similar cell type-specific pattern emerged. Lithium treatment at therapeutic doses in cortical neurons decreased expression of protein kinase A, as well as ACT expression, but enhanced expression of these kinases in hippocampal neurons. Altogether, the authors conclude that chronic lithium treatment may have both concentration and region-dependent effects, given the observation that subtherapeutic doses led to larger changes in protein expression in hippocampal neurons. And this concludes our subsection on new PTM-focused tau literature. Next up, we'll take a look at papers covering tau aggregation more broadly. Paper number four is titled, Amyloid-Driven Tau Accumulation on Mitochondria Potentially Leads to Cognitive Deterioration in Alzheimer's Disease. 
This paper was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences by first author Cuadrado Teodor and last author Garcia Asta from the University of Navarra in Spain. For this study, we'll turn our attention to the interplay between amyloid beta and tau pathology, specifically in mitochondria. The authors of this study injected either wild-type or amyloid precursor protein presenilin-1 transgenic mice with viral constructs carrying mutant human tau, and, three months later, subjected the animals to a battery of tests. They found that tau overexpression significantly enhanced memory deficits in AD, but not wild-type mice. Similarly, insoluble tau fibrils were found only in the AD mice. Using electron microscopy, the authors further observed the presence of tau aminoparticles at the dendrites of AD, but not wild-type mice, specifically accumulating in dendritic mitochondria. From these findings, they conclude that amyloid, present in the AD mice, is necessary for inducing the observed tau pathology and likely contributes to cognitive decline, possibly through altering synapse function. Now let's zoom into the nanoscale structure of tau aggregates with paper number 5, titled Structurally Distinct Polymorphs of Tau Aggregates Revealed by Nanoscale Infrared Spectroscopy. This paper was published in the Journal of Physical Chemistry Letters by first author Banerjee and last author Ghosh from the University of Alabama. In this paper, the authors use atomic force microscopy infrared spectroscopy to take a look at the nanoscale structures of tau fibrils from early to late stages of aggregation. From this approach, they find that tau fibrils vary significantly in their secondary structures, and mature fibrils specifically were enriched in anti-parallel beta sheets. The authors conclude that this is the first study applying nanoscale infrared spectroscopy to studying the structures of tau aggregates, so hopefully we'll continue to learn more from this technique and cover it in subsequent episodes. Sometimes, all it takes for a protein to misfold is the quirky behavior of one little amino acid. More on that in paper number 6, titled Theoretical Insights into Mutation and Histidine Tautomerism Effects on Tau Proteins. This paper was published in the journal ACS Chemical Neuroscience by first author Lee and last author Lee from Sung Kyung Kwan University in Korea. Here we're looking at the fine details of tau fibrillization, with a specific focus on the initial steps that begin this aggregation process. The authors were interested in two factors attributed to tau misfolding, histidine tautomers, the switch between two interchangeable structural isomers, and mutations, both of which have the potential to drive tau into a more energetically favored misfolded state. In this study, they used a technique called replica exchange molecular dynamics to model how the structure of the R3 tau fragment is impacted by either histidine tautomerization or a common tau mutation. I'll spare you the nitty-gritty of these results, but essentially, they found that both of these conditions altered R3's secondary structure and interactions between either end of the peptide, both of which affected its propensity to aggregate. If you're interested in learning more, I highly recommend you head over to our bibliography to search up the full paper, as I've simplified a lot of the exciting experimental details here in my summary. Continuing on, let's chat about metal ions and their effect on tau aggregation in paper number 7 titled, Contrasting Effects of Ferric and Ferrous Ions on Oligomerization and Droplet Formation of Tau, Implications in Tauopathies and Neurodegeneration. This paper was published in the journal ACS Chemical Neuroscience by first author Mukherjee and last author Panda from the Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay. In this paper, we return to a frequently recurring topic in this episode series, liquid-liquid phase separation, or LLPS, and how tau's ability to undergo this phase separation might be altered by changes in metal homeostasis. 
The authors of this study investigated the ability of various trivalent metal cations to modulate tau aggregation. And just for a quick reminder, this means we'll be discussing metal ions carrying a plus three charge. They found that ferric and aluminum ions enhanced tau aggregation, while chromium, lanthanum, and vanadium ions had no impact on this process. On a structural level, they posit that ferric ions interacting with tau may enhance its beta sheet structure and stabilize non-covalent interactions between the protein's disordered regions, promoting aggregation. This paper goes into quite a bit more detail on various methods used to carry out these experiments and the effects of other ions tested. So if you're interested, I'd again highly suggest you head to our bibliography to check it out for yourself. And paper number seven concludes our first subsection of today's episode, where we talked about new discoveries in tau aggregation and post-translational modifications. For this second part, we'll shift gears to discussing tau seeding and general tau pathology. Our first several papers in this section will be focused on tau seeding and spreading, beginning with paper number eight, titled Proliferation of Tau 304-380 Fragment Aggregates Through Autocatalytic Secondary Nucleation. This paper was also published in the journal ACS Chemical Neuroscience by first author Rodriguez and last author Lintz from Lund University in Sweden. To kick off this section, let's take a look at the kinetics of tau seeding using a model tau fragment. The authors of this study were interested in generating replicable kinetics measurements of tau aggregation in order to hopefully unveil some of the molecular mechanisms behind its self-assembly. To accomplish this, they produced an ultra-pure tau fragment consisting of residues 304 to 380 and performed spontaneous in vitro aggregation assays using fluorescence spectroscopy and mass spectrometry to study its fibrillization. Through these experiments, they discovered that primary nucleation occurred slowly and was then quickly taken over by secondary mechanisms, with the secondary nucleation of tau monomers on the surface of fibrils being much more prominent than fibril fragmentation. The authors further show that intermediate tau oligomers are composed of monomers via secondary nucleation. Altogether, these experiments add to our understanding of the kinetics underlying tau aggregation and self-replication. Next, we'll dip our toes a bit into a topic I usually discuss in our proteostasis and autophagy episode series, looking at sequestration of the autophagy receptor P62 as a result of tau spreading. More on this in paper number 9, titled, P62 Accumulates Through Neuroanatomical Circuits in Response to Tauopathy Propagation. This paper was published in the journal Acta Neuropathologica Communications by first author Blauden Dithay and last author Duff from the Taub Institute for Alzheimer's Disease and the Aging Brain at Columbia University in New York City. Here, we're expanding our discussion of tau aggregation to include how this process correlates with markers of protein clearance in vitro and in vivo. The authors of this study found that P62, an autophagy receptor and marker of defective protein clearance, correlated with tau accumulation in two different transgenic mouse models. In the enterhinal cortex tau mouse model, P62 accumulation in the neuronal cytoplasm preceded signs of pathological tau accumulation, but at a later stage of tau pathology, was later found to co-localize with pathological tau at the synapse. To further investigate tau spread in vitro, the authors cultured cortical neurons overexpressing fluorescent tau in a microfluidic device. Experiments in this system revealed that tau seeding in the donor chamber of the microfluidic device led to the spread of pathological tau to the recipient chamber and P62 accumulation in both the donor and recipient chambers. 
The authors conclude that their findings support a hypothesis in which the spread of pathological tau impairs protein clearance mechanisms, and that this cycle of tau accumulation and clearance disruption likely contributes to the progressive nature of tauopathies. And that about does it for new papers on tau seeding. Moving ahead, the remainder of this section will cover generalized topics on tau pathology. Let's start with paper number 10, titled Association of Neurofibrillary Tangle Distribution with Age at Onset-Related Clinical Heterogeneity in Alzheimer's Disease, an Autopsy Study. This paper was published in the journal Neurology by first author Smirnov and last author Heinecker from the University of California, San Diego. This paper concerns an autopsy study where the authors set out to determine whether the clinical heterogeneity between early versus late onset AD cases could possibly be explained by differences in the distribution of tau neurofibrillary tangles, or NFTs as I'll call them now. To answer this question, they calculated the distribution of NFT density in postmortem hippocampal and neocortical brain regions at autopsy, also accounting for co-pathological markers like alpha-synuclein, TDP43, and others. They found that TDP43 and microvascular co-pathologies were more common and NFT density in the midfrontal cortex and midfrontal-slash-hippocampal NFT ratio were lower in later-onset AD cases. Further analyses revealed that the relationship between age of onset and the severity of functional deficits was mediated by this midfrontal hippocampal NFT ratio, but not non-AD co-pathologies. Similarly, the midfrontal hippocampal NFT ratio mediated the relationship between earlier age of onset and faster decline on cognitive and executive functioning tests. Concluding, the authors surmise that faster disease progression in earlier onset AD patients is linked to a greater midfrontal to hippocampal NFT burden rather than the presence of non-AD co-pathologies. Next up, our favorite AD-associated molecule makes a guest appearance. We'll learn about the relationship between amyloid and tau pathology in even more detail in paper number 11, titled Combinatorial Model of Amyloid Beta and Tau Reveals Synergy Between Amyloid Deposits and Tangle Formation. This paper was published in the Journal of Neuropathology and Applied Neurobiology by first author Kohler and last author Chakrabarty from the University of Florida in Gainesville. The authors of this study injected viral tau constructs into either neonatal or three-month-old amyloid precursor protein transgenic mice to assess how these tau constructs would interact with soluble A-beta species in the pre-deposit cohort and insoluble A-beta species in the post-deposit cohort. Of note here, three tau variants were used, wild-type, a perline to leucine mutant, and a serine to phenylalanine mutant. Each cohort was aged three months after the injection, and then harvested for a battery of molecular tests. From these experiments, the authors found that wild-type tau expression had no effect on pathology in either cohort. In contrast, the serine to phenylalanine tau expression was shown to induce deposition of A-beta plaques in the pre-deposit cohort, and this was accompanied by both neuroinflammatory markers and synaptic abnormalities, while no effect was observed in the post-deposit cohort. In another twist, perline to leucine mutant tau led to NFT formation in the post-deposit cohort, but not the pre-deposit cohort. Altogether, these studies appear to indicate that different tau mutations have distinct effects at different stages of A-beta pathology. Ever wondered what would happen if you cut tau in half? Well, the authors of this study did. More on that in paper number 12, titled, Truncating Tau Reveals Different Pathophysiological Actions of Oligomers in Single Neurons. This paper was published in the journal Communications Biology by first author Hill and last author Wall from the University of Warwick in the United Kingdom. 
to determine whether certain targets of tau pathology might be attributed to distinct regions of the tau protein, the authors of this study separated tau into two parts, the first 123 residues and the remaining 124 to 441 residues. Tracking the effects of each molecule, they identified voltage-gated sodium channels as one target for tau-induced dysfunction. This abstract is quite brief, so be sure to check out the full paper for yourself if you'd like to learn more. And finally, the last paper of this segment. Paper number 13 is titled, Tau Cleavage Contributes to Cognitive Dysfunction in a Streptozytosin-Induced Sporadic Alzheimer's Disease Mouse Model. This paper was published in the International Journal of Molecular Science by first author Latina and last author Amadoro from the European Brain Research Institute in Italy. Here we'll take a look at how tau cleavage contributes to cognitive dysfunction in a streptozytosin-induced model of sporadic AD. If you're not already familiar with this model, streptozytosin, or STZ as I'll call it, is a compound sometimes used to model diabetes, but its administration to the brain also recapitulates many of the hallmarks of sporadic AD. The authors of this study had previously reported that pathological tau cleavage in two other transgenic tau models could be neutralized by the administration of an anti-tau monoclonal antibody called 12A12. In this current study, they sought to expand these findings by assessing the efficacy of the 12A12 antibody treatment in STZ-treated mice. They found that, after three weeks of IV treatment, the STZ-treated mice showed a significant recovery of cognitive function, as demonstrated by the novel object recognition and object place recognition tasks. At the molecular level, this was accompanied by decreases in APP expression, tau hyperphosphorylation, mitochondrial and synaptic impairment, as well as markers of oxidative stress and neuroinflammation. The authors conclude that their findings support 12A12 antibody treatment as a potential future therapeutic option for AD patients, and particularly for those who have type 2 diabetes as a comorbidity. This brings us to the end of the first segment for today's episode, where we covered new papers on tau pathology. We're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll cover new studies on targeting tau for therapeutic interventions in AD. See you soon! Hey listeners! I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Nearly 1 million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years. And sadly, no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. Welcome back. We have four papers in this section focused on the development of novel AD therapeutics targeting tau, so let's get started. Paper number 14 is titled, Cleoquinol Decreases Levels of Phosphorylated, Truncated, and Oligaramized Tau Protein. This paper was published in the International Journal of Molecular Science by first author Lin and last author Hamano from the University of Fukuri in Japan. In this first study, the authors assess how a compound called cleoquinol impacts tau metabolism. I hadn't heard of cleoquinol, or CQ as I'll call it now, before, but a quick search told me that it is a compound in the hydroxyquinoline family with mild chelating effects for both zinc and copper ions. 
and has also previously been shown to decrease amyloid aggregation in the brain. Since other findings suggest that copper ions can induce tau hyperphosphorylation, the authors set out to test the effects of CQ on tau aggregation in vitro. Using a human neuroblastoma cell line expressing wild-type tau, they found that CQ treatment decreased copper ion levels, as well as total and phosphorylated tau. They further discovered that CQ treatment decreased the activity of two tau kinases, JNK and P38-MAPK, but activated the tau phosphatase PP2A. Expanding their investigation, further experiments revealed that CQ treatment reduced levels of oligomeric insoluble tau and caspase cleave tau while activating both autophagic and proteosomal degradation pathways. In sum, they find that CQ treatment exerts beneficial effects on several realms of tau pathology, though further studies are of course needed. Next up, a new way to think about combating tau aggregation by engineering peptides to stabilize microtubules. Paper number 15 is titled, On the Microtubule Stabilizing Properties of a Tau Oligopeptide. This paper was published in the Journal of Chemical Information and Modeling by author Jimenez from the Andres Bello National University in Chile. This paper examines the intriguing possibility that tau-related pathology could be delayed through the introduction of engineered molecules designed to mimic tau's physiological role as a microtubule-stabilizing protein. Using molecular dynamics and related simulations, the authors modeled the effects of a 27-residue tau-mimetic oligopeptide on microtubule stabilization compared to two other tau-peptide species. They found that bound peptides in these models adapted conformations consistent with cryo-electron microscopy reports for full-length tau binding to microtubules. Similarly, tau-peptide binding strengthened contacts within the microtubule structure and exerted stabilizing effects on microtubules bound to other molecules. They further show that phosphorylation of a serine residue on the model peptide led to microtubule destabilization, consistent with major hypotheses of tau hyperphosphorylation. Altogether, these findings provide context for future tau-mimetic peptide-based strategies. Here we delve a bit further into antibody-based therapies to combat the aggregation of disease-associated proteins like tau. More on that in paper number 16, titled Structural Study of the Recognition Mechanism of Tau Antibody Tau2R3 with the key sequence VQIINK in tau aggregation. This paper was published in the journal Biochemical and Biophysical Research Communications by first author Tushida and last author Tamu from the Osaka Medical and Pharmaceutical University in Japan. This study focused on the specific motif within Tau's microtubule binding region and aims to expand our knowledge of the structural basis for its interaction with a potential antibody-based Tau therapeutic. The authors of this study previously described the FAB domain FAB2R3, of a tau antibody capable of inhibiting tau aggregation by recognizing its VQIINK motif. Here, they show the tertiary structure of FAB2R3 and contrast it with the structure of FAB2R3 bound to the tau motif in order to shed light on the recognition mechanism. They find that there were large structural changes in the arrangement of the constant and variable domains between FAB2R3 and FAB2R3 bound to the tau motif. Specifically, changes in the H3 and L3 loop regions of the complementarity determining regions were highlighted. The authors conclude that formation of hydrophobic pockets is important for the ability of tau antibodies to recognize their antigen. Last but not least, for our final paper of today's episode, we'll look at how anti-tumor drugs might be repurposed to combat tau seeding and aggregation. Paper number 17 is titled, 
anti-tumor drugs targeting tau r3 vqivyk and cis322 prevent seeding of endogenous tau aggregates by exogenous seeds this paper was published in the febs journal by first author anna durai and last author das from the palaki university alamuk in the czech republic the authors of this study evaluated a panel of anti-tumor drugs for their ability to prevent tau seeding and toxicity using both cells expressing mutant tau and c elegans models they found that drugs that interact with either the N-terminal VQIVYK motif or a cysteine residue in the protein C-terminal prevented tau aggregation. Similarly, preformed fibrils, or seeds, formed in the presence of these drugs showed a reduced capacity to induce aggregation of naive tau, both in vitro and protected against tau toxicity in worm models. Altogether, this study suggests that existing drugs targeting these tau motifs could potentially be repurposed to combat tau pathology in future studies. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. If you're still with us, thank you for sticking around the whole way through. If you're interested in hearing more on other topics in AD, we publish a new episode three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you'd like some of the studies we talked about today, or are interested in the wide, wonderful world of the mechanisms cells use to deal with misfolded proteins, check out my second episode coming out later this month, where we'll talk about papers focused on general proteostasis and autophagy pathways as they relate to AD. And remember, if anything I mentioned today caught your attention, you can always find the full papers through our numbered bibliography, available either in the show notes or on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you prefer. It really helps us to reach more listeners out there who will benefit from our show, so thank you in advance. You can find me, Kate, on Twitter at Synapticate. While you're there, you can also find and follow the podcast at Aminder underscore podcast for updates, announcements, new episodes, and more. Beyond Twitter, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, so check us out there too if you prefer. Finally, we're actively looking for more people to join our team. So if you think you might be interested, please let us know by sending an email with your CV to aminderpodcast at gmail.com. To close out, I'd like to give a special thanks to our sorting team who do the heavy lifting of categorizing all these abstracts. Alyssa for reviewing my script, Lara for editing this episode, and Anjana for putting together the bibliography. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the CCNA, and to you, the listener, for tuning in. With that, I hope you found this podcast both useful and accessible, and I hope you can join me again for my next episode later this month, or to hear the latest on Tau during next month December series. Thanks for tuning in!